Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. A short remark up front. You may hear that my voice is not in its usual condition. I am at the very end of a COVID-19 infection. It was not too bad, just like a big, big cold that I had. And I was tested negative this morning, so I'm through, I'm done with this. What remains up to now is a bit of a sore voice. Is I'm, I'm coughing still quite a bit. But I hope I will make it for the next 30 minutes for you to be able to record this episode of the Human Technology Podcast. And it's worth listening to it uh, because, uh, yeah, um, I will talk about a culture clash. A clash between uh, the traditional automotive industry and the new technologies, the new companies, the new business models that are pushing into vehicles. And yeah, so, so I, will, I will give you an, an overview. And first of all, the question, uh, why do I love what I do? Human-machine interfaces, HMIs, make technology tangible. It makes it valuable. The, the, the core value of technology is not lying in the technology itself, but in the ability to improve human lives, to make it more beautiful, faster, safer, more focused, or maybe even just more fun. But this is what technology should do, and to deliver this value, to create um, this value, the connection between human and technology needs to be needs to be designed carefully, needs to be um, yeah laid out well to meet exactly this role technology should have in our lives. In the vehicle, the use of an infotainment system, all these features like uh, navigation, music, uh, phone, internet access, all the services, the parking services, the different apps that we see at the horizon, all this is a secondary task. The main task is and remains for the foreseeable future driving or the control of the driving robot. So automation level two 
requires the driver to have a permanent control over this rolling robot. At level 3, we need to remain in a position, physically, mentally, that a takeover within a few seconds is possible. So, even on level 3, um, we will have an architecture, a cockpit architecture, that is similar to what we see today. And uh, driving is and remains the main task for the foreseeable time frame. Even on, on level 3, I mean, driving will be a core part of what a human in a vehicle needs to do. The automotive industry seems very established, very slow and somehow inflexible, non-agile, non-sexy. I mean, yeah, everything is driven by processes. Everything is driven by crusted structures. On the other side, the automotive industry delivers reliable products with a high availability. Whether you're in the Arctic or in the Sahara, whether you're in the rainforest or in the desert, a car works. It usually just works. And it works so well that we do not even think about this. We have optimized engines. Even if you have a look at the, at the combustion engines of today, they are very much optimized towards noise, towards efficiency, towards um, lowered energy consumption, reduced CO2 emissions, or any kind of emission. So we have reached a very good level at in that. If you, if you compare it with the engines of uh, 40 years ago or 20 years ago, made huge steps forwards in, in the past years. Cars are very good in aerodynamics. So I very often think, hey, they all look the same somehow. But that is based because uh, this also raises the efficiency um, that, that I, the aerodynamics is pretty good. And aerodynamics is physics, and you cannot change too much about this. And um, this is one thing we should always keep in mind is that the safety of the products that we have there is on a very high level. Of course, we are not on a zero fatalities level yet, but we are pretty close to this. So the number of kilometers of miles driven on German roads is still growing every year, but the number of fatalities that dropped from um, 30,000 per year in the early 70s to 2,500 this year, which is, of course, 2,500 too much, too many, but far better than the figure we had uh, 50 years, 55 years ago. And the, uh, there are various reasons for this, but one reason is that the technology of cars is very much focused on safety and that we have reached a very good level here. My main customer at the moment, um, I'm, I'm developing a dashboard concept, a complete um, HMI concept, three different instances, um, like a cluster instrument, a head-up display and infotainment display and 
I design the the information distribution. What is displayed where and how? How make we? How do we make it accessible? How do we moderate the different um, means of interaction like voice and gesture and touch screen and yeah, the entire concept. This is what I'm doing for this company, and that is one of these new kids on the block, and uh, which is uh, also a very exciting development. These new players on the market, they have some completely different approaches compared to the established OEMs, like um, completely new vehicle concepts. So they're planning from scratch. They really start with a white sheet of paper and there is no heritage, there is no past in these companies. And um, so, so they don't need to consider anything that they did in the past. And they think everything, every thought can, can be thought in a totally new and different way. These new companies, they understand that software is the main factor of driving and vehicles today. And they have new HMI concepts. So Tesla, as an obvious example, um, they were the first ones to have really, really big screens that rely heavily on screens and uh, it seems like many of the other OEMs, they're following that direction. And the key question here is, who is better positioned for the future? The more traditional manufacturers or the newcomers, the new kids on the block? From my point of view, particularly under the HMI point, let's say under the HMI innovation point, the new players are still ahead like Tesla, Byton, Hi-Fi, some of the other Chinese OEMs. So they are a step ahead, but there's a big but in that. The traditional OEMs uh, have woken up. They are picking up the pace. They are taking up the pace. And many of these HMI concepts and technologies are coming from the established manufacturers. So some of the exciting stuff out there for... One of the most obvious ones is the Mercedes Hyperscreen that they put into an S-Class or EQS uh, vehicle. Luxury limousine, very traditional user group, traditional car. But they have this huge screen in it with a couple of very specific and unique HMI components in there. The BMW iX also, um, the one I personally like a lot because they kept this... Uh, haptic input device, the iDrive, in it. Also the Porsche Taycan, um, then the speech recognition system we have, uh, the gesture recognition. So um, the race today is more open than ever. And what I will do in this um, podcast episode is a quick analysis under the aspect of user experience, usability, and HMI, human-machine interfaces. I've selected a couple of points. And the first one is the general trends of the automotive industry. I talk a lot in this podcast and wherever, in, wherever I am uh, about the case mantra. I don't want to do this uh, here today. CASE stands for Connected, Automated, Shared and Electric. And I, I won't talk about this today. And I will do this in the future. I've done it in the past. I would like to focus more on another aspect, 
that is coming and those are the users the we, we see new user groups coming up new user groups growing into an age where they can drive a car where they can own a car where they can buy a car and these young persons are young of course i mean that's uh, their main characteristics but they are extremely digital they grew up where in a world where the internet was ubiquitous where it was omnipresent where it was always there and everywhere boring old men like me or women as well of course um, we we can talk about times without the internet even without a computer but uh, the young kids they grew up connected uh, in their entire life and um, just just a parallel 15 years ago we had the first drivers that grew up uh, in the cars that they had a mobility experience from the very early beginning on being squeezed into these uh, children seats baby seats in, uh, in in the cars i mean in my generation um, I, i can remember that i was standing in, in the back uh, in front of the back seat while my dad was driving And I was standing there on, on, on between the, the two front seats and watching my, my dad driving with 150, 160 kilometers per hour on a German autobahn. And my kids grew up with these baby seats and they have a totally different idea of what a vehicle interior should be, what safety in cars is and, and how safe cars actually can be and what you as a user need to do to, to remain safe in a car. And now, just like we had this change from my generation to the generation of my kids, uh, now the first drivers are coming that the entire time of their conscious lives have a smartphone in their hand. So they're used to this piece of plastic with silicone chips and glass on top that uh, gives you access to, to the internet, to the entire world, to the entire knowledge, to data of any kind, and that gives you enormous amounts of services. And this changes the digital experience of these young girls and boys. The digital experience is in the foreground. So it's bits and bytes are more important than horsepower and talk. The question is not anymore... How fast is this car? But how fast is the internet connection in the car? And they have a sometimes a very critical attitude towards cars. I mean, when I was young, a car was an object of my dreams. And of course, at 18, I made my driver's license. And as soon as possible, I was trying to own a car and to drive around with this. My... Nephews, for example, they don't even have driving licenses also, although they're mid-late mid, mid 20s now. And yeah, I just don't need it and they don't drive anyway. So why, why should... And it's a totally different attitude towards cars. So owning a vehicle becomes clearly less important. 
Plus that there is a general awareness about the environmental damages we do with the cars and about sustainability, about the climate change and all these things are, are occupy a lot of the thinking and acting of uh, younger people. And this applies, of course, in the majority of people. You may know and I know younger kids that are totally into cars. Um, I, I still have young young people in my environment that they have their own cars and love them and maintain them and work on them. But, and this is the core point here, with these digitally educated young people with humans that have always been connected in their entire life, we have a totally different approach towards what a car is, what it should do, how it should work, what it should provide, and what makes it attractive. So we have this change in mindset. The second thing I'd like to think about um, are touchscreens or glass cockpits, as we say. So the number and the size and the dominance of screens in cars um, is growing. So the paradigm is changing. So in, in, in the early times of uh, HMI development, was always a question, how do we get the information displayed and how can we control it? Today, we have so much interaction real estate in the car that I sometimes ask myself, hey, what the hell are we doing with all this space, with all this freedom that we have, with all these designs that we have? And yeah, so that, that there's a change of the, of the, of the paradigm. And um, the, the question remains, how can I use this HMI real estate uh, efficiently? One thing I would like to focus in is the touch interaction. And of course, touch interaction has clear advantages. We have this direct manipulation of content. So I click on an icon and something happens. I, I take my finger move it towards a function, click on it, double-click, tap, whatever, and something happens, which is a very direct manipulation. And I can also make a long press on it, and then I can shift it around on the screen and change its position. So all this is possible, and if you want to do this with a uh, haptic controller, with an iDrive-style uh, device, that may get pretty, pretty, pretty uh, complex. We have this flexible interaction. We can slide, we can swipe, we can tap, we can single click, double click, we can make long presses, we can make super long presses, we can, I mean, there is a lot we can do um, with this uh, touchscreen interaction. We have a flexible screen design. I want to have a different color, no problem, I get a different color. I want to have a different font, no problem, on the screen I can change the font. I want to have less or more content on my screen, no problem. And I can all manipulate that directly again on, on a touchscreen. So we have this very flexible, uh, this high flexibility, this very flexible screen structure. And this is the biggest point in here. Users are used to touchscreens. We have all our smartphones, we have our tablets. So there is a high external consistency. So whatever happens on a smartphone in a 
certain way. However, I can control certain things. I expect the exact same to happen on my dashboard. So we have this very strong user demand to have a touchscreen in a car, which works like a smartphone interaction, like a, like a smartphone HMI. And it is chic, it's trendy, it's modern. So yeah, we have this clear trend. I see one clear disadvantage in this entire touchscreen glass cockpit trend that we have at the moment. We are lacking haptic feedback. I drive a German premium car with a rotary push device as the central controller. There is no, no touchscreen in this car, but this rotary push and uh, I can rotate and press and, and, and shift it to the sides. And then there are a couple of very well designed hard keys around it. And I can use this blindly. I know on the upper right, there's the map on the upper left, there's the media and in the upper middle, um, there's the main screen where I can see everything in an overview. And so, so I don't need to have a look at something. Uh, I don't need a visual feedback loop to control something. And this visual feedback is always required when you have a touchscreen. So blind use is, is almost impossible. And this leads to a growing driver distraction that we have. So again, here we have the, let's say, more traditional approach with a haptic interface with buttons and central haptic controllers on one side and the touchscreen interactions with all its advantages, but also with clear disadvantages. Connected to this touchscreen is the question of screen design. I said this users are expecting something like an Apple Android style interface. They want to have the external consistency and the more I, I'm, I'm working on this and the more I'm driving cars with Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, I realize that the interaction paradigms that we have are partially unsuitable for use in vehicles. And I talked about the fact that the interaction with an infotainment system is a secondary test. So the main task is driving. We have to keep our eyes and our minds on the road and we should keep our hands at the steering wheel or at least close to the steering wheel. Um, so this this uh, is, is um, yeah, I mean, if you have, then have a look at the HMIs of Apple, Android or the other tablet style, app style, uh, interfaces, HMIs, and you will find out this is not really possible. So users like and, and, and users like it, and users expect it. And at the end of the day, if it works well, okay. Yeah, but but uh, this is a second point besides the non-suitable HMI, but uh, it just doesn't work the way it is supposed to work. But the disadvantages are clear and obvious. So we have this uh, visual feedback loop. We have this strong mental pull of, of the smartphone-style HMIs. And, um, yeah, this, this leads to disadvantages um, that are hard 
to communicate up front. So if, if I go to a client and say, hey guys, we shouldn't do it. We should have a haptic controller somewhere. Oh no, 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 all users want this and, and, and they all expect this and we cannot go any other path. I said, yeah, of course they expect it and of course, but we know better. I mean, <laughs> we, we should, we should uh, be able to provide a solution that is automotive ready and that meets the old world of automotive and connects it to the new world of bits and bytes. Which then leads me to the third and final point uh, of the analysis between the old and the new, the cultural clash between uh, bits and bytes on one side and uh, horsepower and torque on the other side. That is software-driven features or the software-defined car. On the vehicle in general, so many vehicle functions are provided in software. In the very, very old times, 50 years ago, everything was mechanic and there always maybe there was a cable for this or that, but, but 80-90% of all functions were mechanic in a car. Today it's more or less vice versa. Everything is electric. Everything is controlled by cables, by buses, by CAN buses or multimedia buses, and we, we, we have all these vehicle functions in software. Even the vehicle behavior is defined by software. We have the sensors that, for example, detect the road, and then they adapt the suspension of a car and, and, and the drivetrain of a car to an upcoming maybe hill or pothole or whatever it may come, and through two different road conditions. So, so the entire vehicle behavior is defined by the software. And the car is beyond that, beyond the car driving, is a producer, is a processor, is a distributor, and is a consumer of data. We are having all this data exchange between uh, the cars themselves, between the cars and the, the road furniture, the infrastructure, and first of all, between cars and central instances like servers, like data processing stations, like the, the OEMs all have these central data storages and send data out. And, and the most obvious example is traffic data that is sent to cars and then uh, uh, processed in the car and that leads to a different behavior by, for example, the navigation system. A new thing coming up are features on demand or features over the internet. And this is one point uh, you may have heard about uh, a German OEM um, that wants to charge you monthly, every month, $18 for the seat heating. And, I mean, they are having all this infrastructure in the car. Everything is there. And then there is a stupid little piece of software that blocks the function. And if you say, yeah, I want to have this, you pay these $18 per month just, just to get the seat heating, although everything is there. I find this extremely ridiculous, and I don't think that um, they will get through with this. But let's wait and see. What makes sense is that you get certain services or that they open up so that the access to certain services or that you can download certain functions, certain pieces of software 
that allow you, for example, a different driving style or a different setup of your suspension or your drivetrain. I mean, I can see all this, but a core function that is based on hardware in the vehicle and in a monthly payment business model, I have my problems. Anyway, we have over-the-air updates. Um, I just talked about this downloading of software, but also fresh versions of software, deleting bugs with over-the-air updates. That is reality today, and that will grow in the future. Then we have, in these over-the-air updates, the entertainment functions, apps, saying, okay, I want to have a different radio app, I want to have a new equalizer in my car. All this is possible um, maybe also different uh, parking services, payment services. All that will be downloadable. But also vehicle software like emission control, internal vehicle networking software, um, that will also be over the air. And then um, the, the, let's say, most critical kind of software, safety critical software, like uh, the ABS system, the steering, the brakes, um, I think that will take quite some time until we have this one as an over-the-air update because if there is something going wrong, we will see serious problems on our road. So we have this different over the kinds of over-the-air update, entertainment, no-brainer today, functions, apps, vehicle software, all already visible, no problem, uh, safety-critical software probably will take a little longer until we get this over-the-air. And then, to get down to the point, software-driven HMIs. So we have this high flexibility. I talked this uh, um, well, with the easy updates, with easy adaptions, so we can add functions to it. So, like, like for example, the Tesla, right? No hard keys or hardly any hard keys, and all the rest is on a touchscreen. And that gives us designers, us concept people, um, as the ones that are making the HMIs an extremely high flexibility. The disadvantage is that if we delete all these buttons, um, this means that certain functions disappear in menus. I just saw uh, the idea that opening the glove box in a car is a function somewhere in the menu. So if you want to open your glove box, there is no lock anymore, there is no button anymore, there is no mechanics anymore. And then you scroll yourself through a couple of lists and maybe in the car menu and then the interior menu, you will find a button, open the glove box, and then the glove box opens. I think this is a little overtuned. Don't you think like this? But anyway... Another example is the windscreen wiper settings uh, in, in the Tesla cars. We had an accident here in Germany um, when somebody was trying to change these settings. Usually you have um, the stalks behind the steering wheel and you just put it up once or twice or you have a little wheel there to adapt the, the, the windscreen wiper to the rain. But uh, this particular car expected the driver to go into some sub-menu and um, while doing this, somebody in Germany crashed his car into a bridge on an autobahn. 
And he was, uh, yeah, sentenced to I don't know what, but uh, the judge found out it's his fault. You should not do this. It's illegal. It was an illegal activity that uh, he was performing, just like scrolling in a telephone list or in a, um, a list of MP3 files or media files. Same kind of uh, interaction, same kind of activity, same kind of driver distraction, illegal on German roads. And this shows um, that, uh, again, we have this on one side, the uh, these guys, the young guys, the new kids on the block with a very digital approach, a lot of screens, a lot of glass, everything in, 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 these, um, in the menus. That this is probably not not today, not not the best possible solution to put it this way. But the, that the sweet spot of automotive HMIs is somewhere in the middle and somewhere between the digital um, old uh, new-fashioned way and the old-fashioned traditional way. All right, why was I talking about this one? A few takeaways for you. Um, my major finding while uh, thinking about all this is it has never been so difficult to design a good HMI, good human-machine interface in a car. We have all these conflicting requirements, security versus smartphone paradigms. We have these expectations of the user groups versus safety. So we have all these conflicting uh, requirements and we have the multimodality. So we can um, think about speech recognition, about touch gestures, handwriting, um, even even haptic devices. And we need to create a balance. So it has never been so difficult to balance all this out, to use all the possibilities we have in a smart way to create exactly the value I was talking about in the very beginning. We have the safety aspect. The usability should be more in focus again. So we have all this user experience about how to make it cool, how to make it like a smartphone, how to pick up the user where he or she is. And I believe that uh, usability, the ease of use, should be more in focus again. I mean, when we reach level four, for level four automation, um, totally different story. Level five, uh, even more. But uh, in the foreseeable time frame, usability should be back in focus. And we have some of the mega trends that are coming up. Um, I talked about the case manager. I talked about the younger user groups. That is just the beginning. We will have even more um, effects in the future. All right. To summarize, 10 years ago, I was of the opinion that um, automotive HMIs are designed. I mean, that all, everything is done. There's not, 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 not much happening here anymore. I thought about uh, looking for another domain uh, for my expertise. said, okay, there must be different things that uh, are more exciting than an automotive. I was overwhelmed by the opposite Yeah, in the past eight years, seven, eight years. Today, I see HMIs in cars as the most exciting application we have because of this clash of cultures I was talking about. And 
For me, the automotive industry is the place where it really makes sense to experience innovations, technologies, to realize this one for the benefits of humans. Plus safety, plus security that we have. And exciting times are ahead of us. The questions, how we can design a vehicle to be experienced by the user as a not on the internet. How can we convey information in a meaningful way? And how do we design the automation of cars? Those questions have not yet been answered. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time, take care and stay healthy.